I want to invite you now to bow with me and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to come and speak to us before I show you what we're going to be doing for the next two years. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful congregation. And I thank you for everyone of my brothers and sisters here whom you have planted in this house so that together we can build a community of faith, a community that is intentional in our disciple making. And I pray that this morning you help us to understand the heart of what this church is about. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you know why I'm so passionate about taking FCC down the path of becoming an intentional disciple-making church over the last 13 years? That has been my singular passion. I want to, I really want to be able to build a church that is intentional in disciple-making. This morning, I want to take, before, tell you, before telling you what we're going to be focusing on for the next two years, I really want to share with you first and foremost why we are doing this. And to do that, I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 5. I want to read for you verses 11 to 14 and use that as a launch pad into what I have to share with you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 to 14, the writer of Hebrews says this, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers then you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil." The writer of Hebrews was challenging the church. If you ever study the book of Hebrews, you know what, what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Is that the writer of Hebrews was challenging the church not to go back to Judaism, but to hold on to their faith in Jesus. And in order to convince them not, not to, to, to go back to Judaism, the writer of Hebrews was contrasting Judaism with Christ. Throughout the whole book, he was contrasting Judaism with Christ and then helping them to see that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything that Judaism has to offer. And here in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer says something that struck me and actually uh, reaffirmed the importance for me of building an intentional disciple-making church. The writer actually brought up to me the elephant in the room when it comes to Christianity. He brought up the common flu of the church. And what, what is this? This is the problem we all know, but yet we have all come to accept as unchangeable. The question is this, what is the elephant in the room for Christianity? I think it is this, we have too many disciples in church that are not disciples. If I can put it, it will be undiscipled disciples. That is the elephant in the room. And the writer of Hebrews actually described these undiscipled disciples with this phrase, by the time you ought to be teachers. What is that saying? It's saying that by right, by this time, you ought to be spiritually matured, but you are not. Hello? Is that what it's saying? By this time when you ought to be teachers, you are still spiritual babies. What he's saying is you are undiscipled disciples. When you ought to be teachers, you are still needing 
milk. And I think this is the elephant in the room in Christianity. This is the common call of the church. And because we have not found a cure, we accept it as a fact of life. And today, you look across the church at large, and our church included, okay, there are thousands of believers sitting in our pews Sunday after Sunday who have come to faith, but we have somehow reduced Christianity to church attendance, to some giving, and then maybe some involvement in the church. The focus is more on belonging to a community of people, but not so much on intentional disciple-making that actually lead to life transformation and spiritual maturity. Are you with me? We are happy just to be able to belong to a nice community. And we think this is what Christianity is all about, when actually the focus should be on discipleship that leads to life transformation and spiritual maturity. And over time, we become a community of undiscipled disciples, followers of Christ who are not really following Jesus. See, and, and, I, and I think we all know that this is happening, but we just kind of overlook it. So we throw a tablecloth over a box, and then we call it a coffee table. And we're happy with that and content to go on with that. And Christianity then can be reduced to a religious activity on Sunday without any of it ever affecting our personal life, affecting our home life, affecting our work life. And the end result are stunted Christians. We are stunted Christians with spiritual immaturity. I like the way the writer of Hebrews describe it. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand, but we're not even trying to understand now. We've given up, you know, and in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Max Dupree, the great leadership guru, I think once said this, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. That's the first job of the leader, define reality. Now, I have pointed, I've painted for you, I think, a reality. But what's the solution? What's the remedy? The writer of Hebrews actually goes on to tell us the answer is intentional discipleship. Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 14. He goes on to say this, but solid food, first he tells us the reality, then he tells us the answer. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Listen, brothers and sisters, we don't try to be disciples. We train to be disciples. You cannot try to be a disciple. You train to be a disciple. And the training is rooted in the solid food of God's Word. It's the solid food of God's Word. And it's not just about knowing the Word. It's about practicing the Word. It is through the application of God's Word in our daily life that we end up replacing evil with good. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6 and 7, listen to this. Paul says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myth and old wives' tale, but rather, what do you do? Train yourself to be godly. You know, many of us go to the gym, Right? 
Some, some of us a few times a week. For what? Train yourself physically. If we would do that for our body, which will one day pass, pass on and go back to dust, how much more, you agree? We should train ourselves spiritually. See, and the, the gym of the, of, of, of the spiritual training is back to the scriptures, back to the word. See, and back to the practice of God's word. And the cost of non-discipled Christianity is really high. We end up with size, but no depth. We can end up with religion without relationship, outward appearance without inward authenticity. That's a high cost to pay. And that's why I am so, so committed to one thing. Let's build intentional disciple-making churches. Somebody say, amen. Are you with me? Catch the, the heart of it. And I've been often asked, right, so what's the difference huh, between an intentional disciple-making church and every other church that wants to make disciples? Uh, my answer is very simple. Uh, my answer to that would be, you know, every one of us, and my, ourselves included, we all, have the in, we all have the intention to make disciples. Every church has an intention to make disciples, but not every church is intentional about it. The whistle word is the word intentional so that it doesn't happen by chance. It happened because we actually devote ourselves to training. See, and, the, the, and, and to me, I think the best way to put it would be, what's the difference between uh, uh, IDMC, Intention Disciple Making Church, uh, versus any other church that want to make disciples? It's the difference between Starbucks and McDonald's. Just, just think of it that way. You know, we all know Starbucks serve coffee, Right? But so do McDonald's. McDonald's also serve coffee. But how many of you know, coffee is very different to McDonald's versus coffee to Starbucks. You understand? Coffee in McDonald's is just another item in the menu. It's just a drink which you can order. But coffee to Starbucks is very different. It's everything to Starbucks. Everything in Starbucks smells of coffee. Every display is about coffee. The entire menu is built around coffee. Coffee is the core business of Starbucks, just like Holy Grounds, you understand? That's why we don't serve hamburger outside. Because it's coffee. That's the main deal. Now, in the same way, discipleship is not just another program in the IDMC church. But everything revolves around discipleship. Everything we do is about discipleship. So hospitality is part of discipleship. Having our car park marshal is part of discipleship. Are you with me? FCS, the faith community services, is about discipleship. Everything revolves around it. Discipleship is the core business of this church. Now, before I share with you what we're going to be focusing on for the next two years, which I have put it all into a video so it's easier for you to capture, I want to take some time this morning instead to tell you why intentional discipleship is so critical, and I've uh, done that for you this morning, and also how, how is IDMC Church, or Intentional Disciple Making Church, distinctly different? What, what is the distinct focus that we have that makes it a little bit different? That, that is passionate to us, okay? And why is discipleship so critical? Now, we often think that the world is in trouble and the church is in dire need. Most of us think like that. 
you know, we look at the world, and then we, we look at uh, everything that's going on in the world, and we say the world is in trouble, man. But the church, we have a lot of needs. You know, we need more training. We need more resources. We need more leaders. You know, we need more equipment. We all think like that. The church is in need. The world is in trouble. But I think the opposite may be true. I think the church is in trouble, but the world is in dire need. What do I mean by that? Why is the church in trouble? I think we're in trouble because sometimes we have the wrong focus. We bought into this consumeristic culture and we make, end up making Christianity man-centered instead of God-centered. That has become the default gospel of the first world. We end up with a gospel without expectation. It's almost like we want justification without sanctification. You know, we want to have salvation without discipleship. And then the pendulum swings, you know, from one end, which is cheap grace, to the other end, which is guilt-ridden Christianity. So we either end up with justification without sanctification. So as long as we are saved, you know, just, just, do, just come to church, hang around, and you'll be okay. We'll, we'll get to heaven. And then the, you know, the pendulum swings to the other end, which is all about just you got to tick off the boxes. You got to do this. You know, you got you to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. And the whole list of, of things to do, then, and then people cannot do it, and we all ended up guilt-ridden. So the pendulum swings. You get me? I think we're in trouble. You see? Uh, the late English Bible teacher John Stott has this great uh, statement that he made once. He said, There is no doubt of the phenomenal growth of the church in many parts of the world. At the same time, we should not indulge in triumphalism. Yes, the church is growing worldwide. Okay? But John Stott says, Don't indulge in triumphalism because oftentimes it is growth without depth. A lot of growth, but no debt. And there is a superficiality of discipleship everywhere. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm saying to you, without radical discipleship, we will be left with this tragic reality of growth without debt. I think we can continue to grow bigger, but not deeper. You see, and multiplication, but without maturity. So we just multiply, but we multiply after our own kind. So we have size without substance. And I think the church is in trouble, our church included, while the world remains in dire need. So what do the world need? The world needs to see authentic disciples. And the church needs to return to our radical roots of intentional disciple-making. That is why we are so committed to build an intentional disciple-making church. I hope you catch this. So what, what are the distinctives then? I want to outline four just very quickly so that we can capture it, okay? First of all, in an intentional disciple-making church, we believe that we need to do discipleship from the inside out. That discipleship is first and foremost an inward journey. It begins with an encounter with Jesus Christ. It starts from there. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts that if you are a true disciple, then you don't smoke. If you are a true disciple, you do your quiet time. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts, but it is first and foremost an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, right? And the Pharisees have this statement. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished 
And then they took note of this. They took note that this man had been with Jesus. What is it that distinguished the early disciples from everybody else? It was they had been with Jesus. That's the key. The early disciples were marked as men who had been with Jesus. And that was a secret to their distinctive discipleship. It was rooted in an inside, intimate relationship with Jesus. That's the starting point. Okay, I'll put it this way. Discipleship in the IDMC church is not just a regimental journey of do's and don'ts, but it is a redemptive journey of grace and gratitude that we are taking with Jesus. It is a pilgrimage that we are on with Christ. And in taking that pilgrimage with Christ, we are being transformed. The transformation comes because we are taking this pilgrimage with Jesus. It's not a checklist of things to do. It's not about you do a 30 minutes quiet time, you know, you pray one hour, read two chapters of the Bible, memorize three verses, go on four mission trip, and then you read five books, tie 10%, and you'll be a disciple. It's not about a list of things to do. It is about a transformation, transforming journey that we are taking with Jesus. And in taking that journey, we are transformed from the inside out. Where does it begin? It starts from the inside, okay? I don't have my whiteboard, okay? I'll draw it. If I can draw it for you, I'll draw four circles. Okay, now you've got to imagine. Huh? Uh, it starts with, first and foremost, me having an encounter with Jesus. I'm so grateful for the gospel that I lift out of this sense of gratitude and grace. And I have a spiritual orientation that is godly. Why? Because it is rooted in the word. Okay, and it is all based on who God is. He is my great savior, my Lord, my master. He is the center of my life. It's who God is, and it's based on what God says. It's all in this word, right? And my understanding of what God says, my understanding of who God is, that forms the center of everything. Then because of that, I have a spiritual orientation. My compass is correct now. Okay, and out of this compass, it then results not in, in just change on the outside, it starts with a change on the inside. My values change. So you have a spiritual orientation first. Then because of that, my values begin to shift. What is important to God is important to me now. And because that's the case, my priorities are being adjusted by who God is, what God says, and what God has done. It shifted all my priorities so what is important to God now is important to me. Then my value is changing. And with my value change, then my actions will follow. Are you with me? See, and once my action really follows, when action and values finds coherence, you see life transformation. And it will be change that will last. You know where our problem is? Even as parents, sometimes we do that. We tend to focus on the action without focusing on giving them a spiritual orientation and a, count, uh, and, and a value change. We focus on action. So we make them do quiet time, we make them come to church, we make them do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then we have this tick the box thing and we think that just because they did it, they are changed. I got news for you. I learned it myself. The moment they have freedom... <laughs> When moment they don't have to follow your car to come to church, they may not come. 
because the action now doesn't come out of a value change. It doesn't come out of an orientation from within. Are you with me? Then it becomes just behavior modification. We force them to do this. We force them to do that. And the moment they don't have to, they won't. But if the change is from the inside out, guess what? You don't need to tell them. They want to do it. They do it not because they have to. They do it because they want to. So you don't have to give, my friends. You get to give. I give you the privilege of giving. (laughs) You don't have to serve. We are giving you the privilege to serve. Are you with me? And I think that's what it is. We, we do discipleship from the inside out. You can tick all the boxes and still not truly know Jesus. So we bear that in mind. It's about encountering Jesus to the transforming power of the gospel. Okay. I have 17 minutes more. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Time flies, you know. Uh, oh my God. What do I do? Okay, almost just read through, read through the head, headlines. <laughs> okay, it's number two. All right, quickly, number two. I think we abide, we believe in abiding in the king before we, we advance his kingdom. There's another distinctive we have. We abide in the king before we advance his kingdom. Okay, and this we believe strongly in John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. If you remain in me, my word remains in you, you can ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. We must abide in the King before we advance His kingdom. Before we are called to do anything for Jesus, we are first called to be with Him. And John 15, 5 said it right. If I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, my word remains in you. You will bear forth much fruit. The abiding comes before the fruit bearing. So you abide in the king, and then you can advance his kingdom, not the other way around, okay? And rootedness, being rooted in Christ comes before being ready to serve, okay? And, it's, and, and abiding is the cause but fruit-bearing is only the effect, okay? And we must be rooted biblically, rooted theologically, and then we can really live biblically, okay? So may the Lord help us. We advance, we abide in the King before we advance His kingdom. Here's number three, very important. We hear the Word, and then we do the Word. Truth does not transform lives. Truth applied transforms life. It's not how much you know, it's how much you practice that makes the difference. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to, 20, 24 to 27. Listen to this one. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice. It's like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain comes down, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because he had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine but does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains come down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Notice that this parable, Matthew chapter 7, is really the closing story. It's a closing parable of a rather long sermon that Jesus did 
which is now commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave his longest teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he ended with this story. And any preacher among us will know this. The closing story is the most important. It must pack a punch. It must be able to drive home the point. Therefore, this is a story of important application. This alone should call for absolute attention. Now, notice that this parable is a parable of contrast. But before you can see the sharpness of the contrast, you must notice first the similarities. You notice the similarities are this. All three builders got similar competencies. It did not say that one builder is more skillful than the other. They all have, they are, all their workmanship is on par. Okay, number two, they, they are building similar construction. It's not that one is building a straw house, the other is building a concrete house. It's all the same. They're building the same construction. Okay, so don't mistake this one with the story of the three little pigs, okay, because that one is three different houses. This one, all similar construction. Okay, the third thing is, they were building under similar condition. It's not that one went through a storm, the other one went through a drizzle. They went through the same condition. Same construction, same condition, same competency. But yet the Bible tells us, one house stood solid when the winds came, the other one fell crashing to the ground. Why? Yeah, it comes back to one simple thing. In the end, what Jesus said was simply this. He said, basically, one hears and practice the word, they are wise builders, building on a solid foundation. But the other did not, they hear it, but they did not do it. He become a foolish builder. So, very simple, right? How do I actually make sure that my life is a discipled one? It is when you listen to the word and you actually do the word. Not hearing, but doing. It's not about mastering the Bible. It's let the Bible master you. That's the key. It's not just about me wanting to know the Word of God. It is about me knowing the God of the Word. If you know Him and you actually practice doing the Word, then I think we will live a disciple life. So discipleship is beyond the transfer of information or mere knowledge of the truth because truth does not transform life. There are many, many believers sitting in our pews who knows the Bible in and out. They probably can tell you books of the Bible recite the 66 books in its order. But that does not mean that you are living a transformed life. Because truth doesn't transform life. It's truth that we apply that transform our life. And you know what? All of us know, right? We don't always practice what we hear. But as we take this pilgrimage with the Lord, may this become a deeper and deeper conviction. So I'd rather know little and apply it all than to know a lot and don't apply anything. Then you become Bible scholar, that's all. You are Bible scholar, but you are not a disciple. <laughs> Truth does not transform life. Truth applied transform life. This is the key to biblical discipleship. Don't just hear the word. That's what, how Jesus has chosen to end that famous Sermon on the Mount. He ends off with one exaltation. Don't just listen to my sermon, but do it. Simple. And we practice. That's authentic discipleship. I'll leave you one last thing, which is this, that we 
are committed to live missional lives. This is so, so important. You cannot de-link evangelism from discipleship. You cannot be an intentional disciple-making church and not be missional. There's no two ways about it. You cannot follow Jesus and not have a heart for the loss. Evangelism and discipleship, I think, is, is two sides of the same coin. I think it's not very helpful when we begin to com- uh, transmit the idea that you can actually be a Christian and don't be a disciple. It's not very helpful to think that you can, you know, evangelism, uh, that discipleship only starts after a guy is saved. I think the whole process of leading someone to Christ is part of the discipleship process. The best way I can think of it would be, imagine I have a door here, okay? There's a door here, and someone is trying to lead me to Christ. So, when, so as I'm being taught, as, I, as I'm being shared, the gospel is being shared with me, and I begin to have a, illumination, I begin to understand, and I'm being enlightened. As I move towards this door, I look up at the door, and it says, the door of salvation. Are you with me? the door of salvation. And so when I cross that door and I, and I come to faith in Christ, I look back at the same door and I see on top of the door, the same door, it says the door of discipleship. Get me? Same door, but two sides. One is salvation, in which I've been brought in, but the other is I look back and I realize I'm actually entered the door of discipleship. See, and then the journey goes on. See, and it's a seamless transition from salvation to discipleship. I think it's two sides of the same coin. It's just like if you are born today, if you are born as a baby, right? Everybody's born as a baby. No baby can decide, uh, I think I'm going to stay a baby forever. No, you seamlessly, okay, you get born, and then you seamlessly grow on to become a teenager, a young adult, and then you become an old man like me. Like, I, didn't, I didn't ask for it. <laughs> I didn't do anything. It was a seamless process of growth. That's it. So discipleship, evangelism, they are one same side, same coin, two different sides. Are you with me? So you don't have an option, friends. You don't have an option to say, okay, I know that I'm a Christian. I'm happy to just sit in church and be a nice Christian until Jesus comes back for me. You don't have a choice. You have to be a disciple. You don't have an option. So you might as well make the best of it. Don't stay stunted. Move on. (laughs) Let's go on to maturity. Amen. That is our commitment. See, but one of the biggest dangers of disciple-making churches we face is this. It's very easy to become inward-looking. It's so easy to get caught up in wanting to learn more, grow deeper, grow bigger. And then we don't intentionally reach out to the lost anymore. We simply grow by attracting more hungry believers who are looking for more. And then we can become complacent simply because we are growing in numbers. Ah, and then we enter this phase, you know. We forget uh, that we are here to get connected, get equipped, get mentored. But for what? It's so that we can be released to make a difference in a broken world. So we are not missioner, we are missing it. See, and we are not, none of us are safe to sit in pews, you know. We are saved to serve in the field, not to sit in pews. If we follow the master, we must end up embracing his mission. You follow the master, you must embrace his mission. 
what is important to the Lord must become important to us. And that is why our mission, our, our, our vision statement changed to this, right? We want to see people save. Churches revive, nations transform. Because until people are saved, until we populate, until we plunder hell and populate heaven, the needle of transformation has not shifted. We have basically pushed, moved people from one church to another, but the city is not impacted. End of the day, right? We have to become missioner. We abide in a king, we must end up advancing his kingdom. So let me end with this. You know, one of the biggest benefits of having a long pastorate in the church, and I've, uh, you know, this is the, I suddenly realized this is the longest place I ever stayed. I've been here 13 years now as your pastor, and I realized, oh my God, I'm growing old with this church. It's true. This is the longest pastorate and longest ministry I ever held. <laughs> In fact, I've surpassed Pastor Ching Lai. <laughs> You're 10 years, right? Oh, well, that just, <laughs> just to make a point. <laughs> but I tell you, one of the biggest benefits of staying long is that I get the privilege to see lives transform over the years. 13 years is long enough for me to see people change. I know of members in this church who are as cold as stones, my God. They are so cold. But yet they come on fire for God in the 13 years I've been here. I know of young people who are notorious in the children's church, but today they are leaders in our youth and in our young adults. I know of marriages that have been transformed, mended and healed. I know of backsliders that has come home to the Lord. I know of many who have grown so much in their discipleship even their spouses cannot recognize them. You know, they have changed, literally changed. I know of one young man who came to Perth to study. He joined the Vibe ministry and had his life turned around. He was discipled through the years. Went on to become a Vibe leader. He did Arrows College, was mentored by Uncle Liu, Liu Go. Ended up becoming a short-term missionary in East Timor for six months, I still remember this young man. He's an orphan, right? So he ended up having to go back to Singapore so that he can reach out to his brother who's yet to know the Lord. When he was back in Singapore, he joined Victory Family Centre where our late um, advisor is from, Pastor Rick Seward. And today, he is a full-time church planter in Tokyo, Japan. And that's a picture of him, uh, the one right in the middle, the handsome young man. Gary Ng uh, is an authentic disciple who is connected, equipped, mentored, and now released to make a difference in the world that he's in. And this is what it's all about. And I know another couple. I can tell you stories after stories, but I'll tell you one more. There's this young couple, uh, not, well, he, they were young when they first came. Uh, there's a couple who immigrated to Australia in the early 2000s. I think they stayed uh, in my granny flat when they first came. <laughs> they actually stayed in my granny flat like many of you have stayed in my granny flat when you first arrived in Perth. They joined the connect groups and actually grew with the church, became a connect group leader, was mentored by Auntie Ruth in Gems, um, engaged strongly in all of our missions activities, both local as well as global. And both husband and wife then make a midlife um, career switch and they ended up becoming nurses instead. They trained to be nurses. And today, 
they have just given up good jobs they have in Perth to, in order to be able to serve as missionary nurses in a Christian Aboriginal high school in Esperance. When everybody else in the country is applying to come to the city, here is two guys who actually apply from the city to go to the country and where nobody wants to go. And they want to work among the Aboriginals because they felt that God has given them that passion and that burden. And this couple, Pamela and Jonathan Chi, they have connected, equipped, mentored, and now released to make a difference in their world. I think they are authentic disciples, living a missionary life for the glory of God. And in a few weeks' time in April, when they come back uh, for, for the visit, we will commission them and, and send them off as our missionaries to the Aboriginal people. For so long, I've been thinking about how can we serve the Aboriginal people. I just don't know how to do it. And here, God has arranged it himself. And ladies and gentlemen, this is who we are. And this is what we do. And I tell you, after 13 years of taking this journey with this church, I think it's absolutely worth it. It is worth it. And over the next two years, we want to continue the discipleship journey. It's not an easy one. It takes a long time to build people's life. But I think it is worth it. We have three major focus that we want to look at between now, 2020, all the way to 2021. And I've tried to put it all on the screen so that you can, it's easier for you to capture. So would you turn your eyes to the screen and let's take a look at where we are going for the next two years. This is our vision video. In the 1940s, a young evangelist gathered a few college buddies and they dreamt of filling stadiums all over the world to present the gospel to people far from God. Now with this vision, Billy Graham went on to speak to more than 215 million people worldwide face-to-face, -face, and over a billion others via television and radio. This is the power of a life-giving vision. At the core of any local church is the power of a God-given vision. Vision is the most potent weapon in the hands of a leader. So what is vision? Bill Hyber said, vision is a picture of our preferred future that produces passion in people. It is the ability to see what God sees. It is the capacity to see beyond what is to what can be. Vision produces the energy for the effort. Vision is hope with a blueprint. And vision is that which stirs up faith. Faith will then birth vision and vision will fuel faith. I believe that God has given FCC a clear mandate for the next two years. So I want to challenge all of us to embrace this vision together and walk in this journey as one people. Let us look ahead with the same eyes and lay hold of the future with one united heartbeat. Let us see the vision, speak the vision, and seize the vision together as one. We want to grow authentic disciples who are deeply connected, holistically equipped, intentionally mentored, and strategically released to make a difference in a broken world. We see a church filled with people who don't just attend church on Sundays, but are people who are being the church 24-7. We see a church filled with people who are personally connected to Christ through a life in the Spirit, rooted in the Word, fervent in prayer. We see a people who walk in authenticity and brokenness and yet operate with humble boldness. We see men and women committed to do life intimately with a group of friends in a connect group. We see a church filled with sons and daughters who are passionately committed to the vision of this house 
and who will do what it takes to see it come to pass. We see a church connected. We see a church led not only by pastors and full-time workers, but a church that is filled with ministers who are equipped to do the work of the ministry. We see a church full of ordinary men and women who are made extraordinary by the power of God, a people deployed to use their gifts to glorify God and to edify one another. We see men and women who are equipped to use their head, their hearts and their hands, armed with the biblical knowledge, values and skills to serve others effectively. We see a church equipped. We see a church where mentoring is culture and not just a program. We intentionally invest in the life of others, not because we have to, but because we want to. We see people who want to grow and become more Christ-like and who in turn desires to help others grow and become Christ-like. We see leaders rise all over the church, uh, not because they yearn for a leadership position, but because they want to influence others towards that which is godly, that which is good. We dream of developing leaders of a certain kind. You may ask what kind? The ABCD kind. Leaders who are authentic, broken, courageous disciple makers. We see a church mentored. And finally, we want to see every member released to make a difference in a broken world. We live in a broken world in desperate need of kingdom believers who will lift out their faith in such a distinct way that they become signposts which will point people towards a better kingdom under a better king. We are not perfect people, but we are people redeemed by the grace of God, filled with a power beyond ourselves that empowers us to live lives that are spiritually natural and naturally spiritual. We are not weird, uh, but real, not strange, but powerful, not flaky, but supernatural. But for what? It's so that we can become world changers and history makers that can make a difference locally in our community and globally in the nations. We see a church release. And as we continue to build for the future, we have three strategic focus areas uh, for 2020 and 2021. And they are this. Number one, to increase in depth and size. Number two, to cultivate our culture. And number three, to grow our global impact. Now, these are our intentions, and we want to be intentional about it. So the staff team will drill deeper into the implementation plans and develop the timelines to see this come to pass. Now, let me flesh out for you now the big picture. Number one, we want to increase in depth and size. As an IDMC church, our priority is not only to increase in size, but also to grow in depth. The deeper our roots, the taller the tree. The deeper the foundation, the taller the building. If we take care of the depth of our life, God will take care of the breadth of our ministry. We believe that the ancient spiritual disciplines of the word, worship, prayer, silence, solitude, communion, intimacy with God, they are indispensable for an authentic Christian life. And that is why we started FCC.life and we gave you the book of James devotional. And that is why we'll be doing uh, our church health survey uh, so that we know where we are and we can track how we will grow qualitatively over the next two years. Facts are our friends and we need to establish our baseline in order to grow from here. Now, in this next season, we will deepen our worship life by worshipping God in spirit and in reality. 
Worship is not confined to a worship service. It is a lifestyle of devotion to God in every sphere of our life. We will increase the intensity of our personal and corporate prayer life. We will call for a greater passion to read, study, and apply the Word of God. We want to grow deeper in love with Jesus. But intimacy must lead to impact. And so we believe that God not only wants us to grow deeper, but also to grow bigger so that we can make a greater impact to a lost world. A good friend of mine uh, once said this, size does not matter, but numbers count. Now what he's saying is that numbers may not indicate health, but there is a huge difference between what a 50-member church can do and what a 500-member church can do and what a 5,000-member church can do. See, the bigger a healthy church can be, the greater her impact will be. FCC, I believe that God has called us to grow in depth and in size. The size is not measured just by the number of bums on our seats, but it is measured by the number of people who are being saved. Our vision is to see people saved. Now, until we see people saved, until we plunder hell and populate heaven, the needle of transformation have not shifted. So over the next two years, we want to see our average weekly attendance grow by 20%, but with new converts as half of this growth. Now, after all, God has blessed us with a big storehouse now, and I believe He wants to give us a big harvest as well. We must get ready to turn FCC inside out. In this next season, I believe that God wants us to engage our community and start reaching out to this territory that He has planted us in. We must begin to make a difference in Willerton and Canningvale. We must begin to pastor our community by praying for them, reaching out to them with love and kindness. And we must till the ground until they are ready to hear the gospel, uh, the, uh, the good news, and be added to the kingdom of God. Another exciting strategy that we are getting into for 2020 and 2021 is to, to start seeding new FCC campuses through the platform space. By the end of 2020, we want to send at least 50 people to start a worship service at the platform. And we will let that service grow to 150, which is the capacity of the platform, and then release them to plant the campus somewhere else. And then we will send another 50 people to the platform and start again. The platform will become a seeding ground for us to plant churches all over Perth. And we will grow one campus church plant at a time until we see disciple-making churches spring up all over Perth. I think it is time for us to increase in depth and size. Number two, we want to cultivate our culture. Last year, we pushed out our culture pillars, and they are uh, authentic in faith. We want to be real before people and true towards God. Number two, humble in posture. Humility attracts the favour of God. Number three, to be focused on people. People is the core business of the church. Number four, excellent in everything. Excellence glorifies God and it inspires people. We have communicated the culture pillars. Now, now we must build it. And over the next season, we will cultivate it by showcasing and rewarding those who uphold and lift out our culture. Now, over the next two years, we want to see this culture becoming so much a part of who we are that those who walk in can literally feel and experience the culture of the house. We want to come to the point where we can be proud of the distinctive FCC culture we have established for the glory of God. Number three, grow our global impact. Many years ago, God spoke clearly to me that FCC's mandate 
is to wave the flag of intentional disciple-making in Perth and the nations beyond. Now, for a long time, I have focused on the nations, but avoided our home city of Perth. The reason was because I did not want to be misunderstood for trying to grow our influence or stealing sheep from other churches. But as we turned the corner into this new decade, something stirred in my spirit that it is time to go for Perth. And our goal is not to plant our flags everywhere, but really to come alongside other local churches to see them revive and flourishing. Now, our vision is to see people saved, churches revived, and nations transformed. So the more local churches are revived, the more a nation can be transformed. And God has laid on our hearts that we will come alongside 10 local churches in Perth to help them go on the discipleship journey using our CEMR model. And we will do this not by assuming that we have the answer, but by starting a conversation about intentional disciple-making. The strategy is to start a bi-monthly conversation with interested local churches and pastors through divine appointments. And then we will let this conversation grow to about 30 churches. Now, by faith, I have booked 30 rooms at the Rendezvous Hotel in Scarborough Beach to lock up the 30 pastors for three days and two nights to talk about intentional disciple-making. And we have been so blessed that Far East Organisation has agreed to sow into this project by sponsoring 80% of the cost for this retreat. Already, local churches from different denominations and of differing sizes are asking to be a part of this conversation. And out of the 30 local churches we will invite, I believe that at least 10 local churches will want to go on a journey with us to implement the CEMR model. Then together, we will wave the flag of intentional disciple-making in our beloved city of Perth. On the global scene, we will continue to serve our DNET churches. We have started meeting the senior pastors monthly now online so that we can stay closely connected. We will later extend these online meetings to the elders, zone pastors, so that we can connect at different levels of the church. Our goal is to see every network church grow in quality and quantity because when they grow, we grow. On the missions front, we are going to help all of our mission churches become IDMC churches, including Cambodia, China, East Timor, Philippines, and Japan. And this year, we'll be going in full force to plant an IDMC church in Fukuoka, Japan. We have received news that it is mandatory now for all schools in Japan to learn English from year three and up. Japan is also working on making English compulsory for university entrance. I think this is the time for English-speaking churches to enter Japan and reach the young Japanese through the English language. And it is truly God's time for Japan and our time to get involved. On the local missions front, you'll be growing our engagement with the local community by starting two new initiatives, namely the Community Cafe and our Community Garden. Uh, we want to begin to invite the community into our space for meaningful engagement over coffee, over gardening. Now, we will have more details coming on these two initiatives. Now, these are our three major strategic focus areas for 2020 and 2021. Number one, to increase in depth and size. Number two, to cultivate our culture. And number three, to grow our global impact. One critical element that will give impetus to our movement will be the need for oneness and unity in our church. And that is why every zone and department in FCC 
must focus on building cohesive teams. We must think the best of one another. We always give one another the benefit of the doubt and we will always support one another and we must have each other's back. And when we stand together as one, we declare with confidence the powers of darkness that if they come against one of us, they will have to contend with all of us. As Psalms 133 informs us, when God's people dwell together in unity, God will command His blessings to flow like the anointing oil of Aaron or the dew of Hermon. And when the anointing flows, all things are possible. So by faith, I declare to you that we can do this, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We want to come before the presence of the Lord and we ask Him to fill us with His Holy Spirit afresh. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, all will be futile. So let us come humbly to the throne of God and we say to Him, Lord, pour out Your Spirit upon us. We want more of You in our midst. We want to see more people getting connected, equipped, mentored, and released to their destiny. Come and empower us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. With this, we'll close. Romans 15, 16. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And church, I'll be honest with you. Discipleship is, is demanding. I think it is costly. And I cannot see how we can do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need a fresh anointing from heaven to enable us to really become true followers, authentic followers of Christ. You know, and today, um, we want to remember that at the end of the day, it's not processes, it's not systems, it's not programs that disciple people, but it is people who disciple people. So really, the, del the delivery system is all of us. Every one of us here is a delivery system, but the Holy Spirit is our enabler. So if we are the delivery system, then we must first commit our life to be a life of authentic discipleship, and then we can produce others. So may the Lord help us to do this. And today, I want to challenge all of us to commit ourselves to become authentic disciples who are transformed from the inside out. Authentic disciples who abide in the King before we advance His kingdom. That we will be authentic disciples who hear the word, not only hear it, but we will do it. And authentic disciples who choose to live missional lives so that we can transform the world. And this morning, we want to close by dedicating our church once again to this call of disciple-making. I want to, right now, uh, just invite very quickly to our stage, uh, our staff team and the ELT and their spouses, our executive leadership team, the staff team and their spouses to the stage. And then I also want to invite uh, the zone supervisors, district supervisors, cell group leaders, heads of departments, assistant cell group leaders. Would you just stand where you are so that the church, as a church, we can acknowledge you and then we're going to dedicate our leadership to the Lord and then dedicate every one of us to the Lord uh, for this vision for the next two years, okay? So would you just put your hands together and just welcome the staff team and uh, our executive leadership team. And leaders, uh, cell group leaders,
connect, uh, uh, connect group leaders and heads of department, would you just stand where you are? And would you all just acknowledge our leaders and just bless them this morning for all the hard work that they do? Amen. And church, our vision is clear. For God's glory, we want to grow authentic disciples. Uh, for God's glory, we want to see people saved, churches revived, nations transformed. Our purpose is unwavering. We want to grow authentic disciples, you know, who love God passionately, love people practically. Now, we all know that without vision, the people will perish. But I can tell you the opposite is true. Without the people, whatever vision we cast will also perish. You know, and so we need every single one of us here who calls FCC your home, that we all together embrace this vision for the next two years. That we will together see, uh, commit ourselves to become an intentional disciple-making church. So wherever you are, would you just stretch your hands towards the the leaders all around, and I'm going to take a moment just to dedicate not only myself, not only my team and the leaders, but also to dedicate every one of us to the Lord, that we will become authentic disciples of Christ. Amen. Would you just raise, lift, lift your hands towards them, allow us to pray. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Father, we thank you that you called us for this specific call to build authentic, intentional, disciple-making churches. Lord, we know that we're not there yet, but this is our desire to continue pilgrimaging with you and allowing you to this journey that we take with Christ be transformed from the inside out. And as we become authentic disciples and we commit ourselves to intentional disciple-making, we will see our IDMC churches rise across our land. Lord, we're not content to live with the common flu of the church, the elephant in the room of having undiscipled disciples. But God, we want to become a church where your people would want to journey with you and allow you to transform us from the inside out. God, may you take us deeper, take us further. And Lord, we admit that we cannot do it in our own strength. So this morning, we cry out to you for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. Would you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can truly live out that, in, that discipleship life. So we commit ourselves afresh to you. I commit all the leaders, staff, members, and all of our heads of departments into your hands. And may you use us in the year ahead and anoint us with a fresh anointing from heaven. But most importantly, we dedicate every single member in this church to you. Lord, we are all planted here by you, not by chance, but because you want to use us. And as we all commit ourselves to the process of being connected, equipped, and mentored, Lord, release us to make a difference in this broken world. And help every one of us to live that missional life wherever you planted us, in our workplaces, at home, in our communities. And for all this, we give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah.